0: Hi everyone, I'm Michael Calori. I'm an editor here at Wired, and you are listening to the Gadget Lab. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of our usual in-studio conversation, we're going to play an interview with Chris Cox, an early and influential Facebook employee who left the company earlier this year. Chris was interviewed by our co-host here on the show, Lauren Good, on stage at the Wired 25 conference just a couple of weeks ago. Their conversation is pretty wide-ranging. They talk about Facebook, they talk about Instagram, they talk about Donald Trump, And Lauren gets Chris to cough up a little bit of news about what he's going to do next. A quick programming note, we'll be off next week for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we will be back the first week of December with a regular roundtable style show with Lauren and Ariel and I talking about the news and giving you our recommendations. So, before we play the interview, I want to give you just a little bit of information about the guy you're going to meet in a minute. Chris Cox joined Facebook in 2005 as one of its first engineers and was instrumental in conceiving and creating the early versions of key Facebook features, including the newsfeed. In 2008, he was named the Vice President of Product at Facebook, where he built the product management and design teams. In 2014, he was promoted to the Chief Product Officer role. He's the person responsible for the company's core apps and services Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and Messenger. He stepped down earlier this year to pursue new projects focused on climate change. So without further ado, here's Lauren Good in conversation with Chris Cox, recorded live at Wired 25 at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco.
1: Chris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for being here as well. Uh, Let's talk about Facebook.
2: All right. All right. Let's just...
1: (laughs) Let's just get I've right heard into about it. it. <laughs> yes, you've heard about it. Uh, you're wearing Facebook colors, too. I guess I so. That was intentional. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, uh, so you left Facebook as chief product officer uh, mm-hmm. several months ago now. I think it was March yep. of this year. And uh, interestingly... Uh, The year before that, before you left, you had just been promoted to run product at not only Facebook, but also WhatsApp, Instagram, and Messenger. Mm -hmm. So you were really like, you were running the the product show there. Uh, That's four of the six core apps of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you left. Uh, How are you thinking about Facebook as a platform right now, now that you've had several months away from working there?
2: Yeah, well, there's my personal experience. I was there for 13 years. Um, so I started there when I was 23. I was, the, I think, the 13th engineer. Um, and so it's intertwined with my whole like 20s and a lot of my 30s, uh, was the experience of growing up with the company. Um, and then there's all the people. I miss a lot of the people there. I miss, um, some days I miss the intensity of the work. Um, some days I don't. Um, at least for, You know, Part of the reason I was okay leaving was having, after 2016, spent a couple years building out a bunch of the teams that I felt were most important um, to sort of take the lessons that we we learned through some of 2016 and start to put in place institutions that could help the company um, be more responsible uh, and be a better communicator on some of the key issues. Um, The misinformation team, I know that's a hot topic right now. I'd be Mm -hmm. delighted to spend 40 minutes on that. Um, as well as the team focused on uh, protecting elections, which is called the Elections Integrity Team, as well as the team focused on um, at-risk countries, which is countries where there's, a, um, there's more potent risk of real-world harm because of the use of social media. And so each of these teams set about forming partnerships with NGOs, with good leaders, um, building up people who cared about working on those things, building ways of measuring uh, progress against the problem. Uh, and ultimately sort of changing the institution. It's obviously not done.
1: But you felt like it was in a good enough place for you to... I
2: felt that the teams were absolutely in a place where they were going to do a great job with or without me.
1: So it's been suggested and reported that part of the reason why you left is that basically throughout the time from when you were first promoted to run product at all over all of these product categories... And the time that you left was also around the time that CEO Mark Zuckerberg started to talk more about the future of social networks being private, Mm -hmm. more private, and talking about unifying back-end systems Mm -hmm. and end-to-end encryption. And it's been suggested that philosophically there might have been a difference in how you felt versus how he felt, the future of the company, you know, where things were going. Would you say that's an accurate characterization?
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was true both that I I had been there 13 years and I didn't it wasn't something where I felt I wanted to spend another 13 years on social media. Um, and also that, you know, as as Mark and I both said, we saw things a little bit differently and then those two things combined to help me, you know, make that decision. And we made that decision together. We spent a long time figuring out what was the right timing for that and what was the right moment so
1: how, how would you characterize how you're feeling about things like uh encryption for example encryption's been a big topic here so far this morning yeah. and i think we're going to continue to talk about it
2: yep i mean i think it's great i think uh
1: you think encryption's great
2: i do okay um i think it offers an enormous amount of protection i think we are still investigating we in, as an industry how do you balance uh, protecting the privacy of people's information and continue to keep people safe Um, There's not a short answer to that question, but there, I think, is a bunch of really important research happening on that question, which will um, be, I think, a lot of the important work that these companies do.
1: How do you think a platform like Facebook squares encryption with some of the things that you were working on, filter bubbles, hate speech, misinformation? Some of that, the latter category, seems to require things being a little bit more out in the open. Mm -hmm. Encryption, of course, means... You're providing a certain layer of protection and privacy for people. Yeah. Um, how do your your beliefs about encryption square with the kind of products you were working on?
2: I mean, it certainly makes things, some of those things more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a messaging system, there's a, there's a much higher expectation of privacy, which is totally legit. And there's also... Um, At least on WhatsApp, we did some work uh, that many of the I think some of the WhatsApp folks are here. We did some work to try and understand how you could combat misinformation in an encrypted environment. And I think we did some very good work. Um, Some of it was public education. um, So just doing digital literacy campaigns in India and Brazil prior to elections. Um, Some of it was building message forwarding systems uh, so that people could connect with fact checkers and then could speak to groups that they were in about what they were seeing. So I think there's a different toolkit um, that th- than the toolkit that you would use in a public feed system where you can just start to see what goes viral, and for anything that looks like it's going to go viral, you send it to a fact-checker. Um, I think there are pros and cons with these systems, and I don't, um, I'm not a hardliner on any one of them. Um, and I think the decisions the companies making on encryption and privacy come from a place that is resonant with what people want, um, which I appreciate.
1: Interesting, Okay. I want, I want to uh, get to, eventually, what you're going to be doing next, Okay. Um, but I do have more questions about Facebook. Sure. So, political advertising, Yes. this is something that's been in the news a lot over uh-huh. the past couple of weeks. Facebook has taken a bit of a hard line on uh, political advertising, uh, excuse me, Twitter has taken more of a hard line on political advertising mm-hmm. on its platform, whereas Facebook has said it's going to allow political advertising, even if those ads may contain uh, untruths. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg has spoken a lot about this. Just yesterday, I should add, uh, Facebook's uh, chief policy officer, Nick Clegg, actually said that they're going to be looking at things like micro-targeting a little bit more carefully. And so, um, But what, like, how do you feel Facebook is actually handling this right now? Is, it, is this the right approach?
2: Well, I think, I think what Mark and Nick said in the last couple of days was they're looking at ways to adopt some of what was suggested in the employee letter, a lot of which I agree with. Um, while still taking the stand, which is we think political advertising can be good and helpful. Um, It it often favors up-and-comers versus incumbents, I think more often than not, which is important. Um, If you look at the democratic field, you have a lot of folks who needed a way to find a platform that didn't quite have one yet, and that creates diversity, which I think is good. Um, They're used a lot in local elections, which I think is important, and is tied up in the question of micro-targeting, by the way. And then they're adjacent to issue ads, which are ads about um, a, category, a, 20, a list of 23 issues, which are political. Um, so you have, um, if you want to talk to people about gun control or climate change or uh, immigration reform or women's rights issues, those are all political. Even the NFL, as they say, is the last thing that wasn't political is now political. Um, and so I think, there's good, I think there's good rationale for supporting these um, in a system that is designed to help people reach the community of people that want to hear from them. And I I stand behind that.
1: Well, what's interesting is it seems that you are a proponent of fact-checking in general. You, you, we've talked about this. You've talked. I'm a, about
2: this. I'm a big fan. You're a big fan <laughs> of
1: fact-checking. We are too at Wired. <laughs> and, and so you're a proponent of fact-checking. You've said this in earlier interviews. You've just said it uh, in this interview. And, and yet it seems as though by Facebook saying we're going to allow political advertising, all political advertising, and we don't really feel it's necessarily a good thing, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, to have fact-checking in place for those political ads, uh, those two things are perhaps not in alignment with one another.
2: Well, political ads are their own animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, most political ads are highly partisan. Um, and fact-checking, part of the reason, part of the place I think you want to get to is to find a way of doing some sort of fact-checking on these that's not so partisan. Um, I think, you know, one of the systems that, the, um, that I worked on a while ago that the company's been vetting with academics is one that would help um, submit to some panel, of uh, a representative panel of people... Um, content uh, in order for them to vet whether or not they feel it's misleading. And ends up, uh, at least according to some of the data that the academics were looking at, ends up being a pretty good system. Um, I think the company should investigate and is investigating uh, micro-targeting, specifically in the political context, because the thesis of all of this stuff is that it should be out in the open. And it is in the political ad archive, but if there's hundreds of variants being run of a creative, then it's, it's tricky to get your arms around what's being said to whom. Um, I also think exploring more context in the UI, um, both in the consumer experience and in the political ad archive, could be helpful at um, continuing a position where you're looking for ways for fact checking to not be so partisan, while also um, giving the user and the, or the consumer a good experience.
1: Spoken like a true product officer. <laughs> tweak the UI and maybe. Well,
2: these tweaks are hugely impactful. Mm-hmm. So I and, don't say that lightly.
1: And hugely impactful because of the size of the user base or a huge. Well,
2: the, the whole experience is on a phone in 100 pixels, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you had, you know, 20 more that are helping people see other points of view or helping people vet um, sort of. Um, whether journalistic institutions have made comments about this, there are a bunch of things that can be done that I know the company is exploring.
1: One more quick question about Facebook. How, how confident are you in Facebook's ability to mitigate potential issues that may come up as we enter, it feels like we've already entered and been in for 20 years, the 2020 election cycle?
2: Well, I can tell you the company has a whole bunch more resources in terms of money, people, partnerships, programs, um, not just in the United States, but with a lot of the, um, most of the countries where major elections are happening to anticipate these things. I can't be 100% confident and the the company can't either. Um, But we've put in place like a real immune system Mm -hmm. um, that at least accounts for a lot of the issues we saw in 2016 and again saw in some of the midterm elections. Um, and as have also seen, looking at other elections around the world.
1: So this seems like a good segue to acronym. Yes. Tell people what you're doing with acronym and what acronym is. acronym acronym acronym.
2: Um, has anyone heard of acronym? One head. Um, so I was inter- one of the problems I've been interested in is the progressives in the United States having a good technology stack like good technical infrastructure for understanding how to develop messaging and then run campaigns. Um, This is an area where um, my perception is that uh, the progressives have been behind on um, ability to develop and use, as a team, um, infrastructure that helps you have a good voter file, how to do develop messaging, just basic politics in 2019. Um, Again, that's my impression and I'm not a political expert.
1: And you're sitting on the advisory board. For I'm
2: sitting on the board along with, uh, I'm not sitting on the, uh, the board of directors, mm-hmm. but I've been helping to advise Tara, raise money, um, hire a team. Um, there's a woman named Tara McGowan who runs Acronym. They're based in Washington, D.C. They work with progressive organizations like Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. Um, their mission is to help them effectively use social media and the Internet. Um, and... I believe that it's important that um, such technology is available for whomever is our nominee and for the sort of progressive institutions going forward.
1: So you, by, uh, by participating in these activities with acronym, I mean, you're really, you're aligning yourself with, with a set of ideologies. You're saying they're progressives. In, um, I've read about it online. It says, like, they want to basically arm the left with digital tools to mm-hmm. help them you know, combat some of the more aggressive tactics of the right. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, do you feel like you couldn't perhaps have worked on something like this in your role as chief product officer at, as, at Facebook?
2: Absolutely not.
1: And why is that?
2: Uh, I think when you're in a very, very senior role at a platform, you need to be... Um, you have a duty to be much more neutral in your politics. And why is that? Um, I think that's part of... Um, running a platform whose customers are across the aisle in a lot of different ways, and I think it's part of aiming to have institutions that can bring the country together.
1: So now, so you're free now, and this is, in a sense.
2: Um, I certainly feel more free. Okay, interesting. (laughs) Um, And, you know, this is something I've wanted to work on for a while, Um, and I've come to understand, at least in my own analysis of what happened since 2016, that um, just good execution, uh, on like running a good campaign um, using the internet um, is something where I think that that matters a lot.
1: Was any of this driven by any sort of uh, sense of personal responsibility for having been a part of Facebook during the 2016 election cycle? You know, cycle? It, maybe
2: uh, not in a way I have direct access to. Um, you know, I, I definitely felt a sense of personal responsibility for cleaning up a lot of the pieces of the platform that I felt weren't going well. But this was just a conviction. I think Trump is, should not be our president. Um, The other thing I care a lot about right now is climate change, and he's not going to help us there. Mm -hmm. And four more years, uh, you know, at five gigatons a year, that's a lot of carbon that we're not going to get to go back and and take back down unless we build some crazy technology that
0: no one knows about yet. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Wired 25 interview with former Facebook chief product officer Chris Cox. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get right back into it.
1: So in your time since you've left Facebook, you were saying earlier you've you've spent a lot of time researching climate change. You have are a smart person. You have the resources. You know you you've been you've really been heads down in this. Yeah. And you're doing something really interesting with a company that works with satellite technology. Yeah. Talk about this.
2: Yeah. So there's a co- really neat company called Planet Labs in San Francisco. Uh, many of you, more of you, are nodding about them than acronym. Okay. Um, they Build satellites and design the satellites and build them right here on Harrison Street. Um, I got to know the CEO and co-founder, Will Marshall, very well. A bunch of ex-NASA folks worked there. The vision was to build these small, like about shoebox-sized satellites with solar panel, panel wings and have a fleet of them in space, which is real-time imaging the Earth. So every hour you get a snapshot of every tile on Earth at medium resolution, which means each pixel is about three meters. Um, So this field has been called remote sensing. Remote sensing normally was something where you could get a picture every few weeks or every few months. Um, But with this sort of time resolution, you can start to ask questions like, what's going on with wildfires today? How quickly are they spreading? Where are they spreading? Um, Deforestation in the Amazon. Um, active coal power plants, how many coal power plants are firing right now? Um, methane emissions is on the horizon as something that we believe, we, the industry of um, of computer vision and satellite folks, you may be able to see from space, which is crazy because it's a gas, but we know methane is a real contributor. And it's coming from certain farms and refineries and stuff like that. So if you could identify leaks, um, you could start to contribute to having a health system where you're basically imaging the earth every hour and then you're creating some public data set with tools that plug into decision makers banks insurance companies policy makers investors Mm -hmm. uh, journalists uh, interested persons the youth like i could imagine in a classroom one day you go and you say this is the earth here's a simulation of what 2050 looks like Mm -hmm. they're getting pretty ugly by the way as we update our assessment of the heating that we think might happen by 2100, my wife's from Bangkok. Like, it's gone. And um, I, I think we're still doing such a poor job, we humanity, of like really wrapping our heads around um, how few precious years we have. And I've even come to understand this more since leaving the company. Um, which to me is why it's one of the most important things you do is, is try and get somebody in office who can care about this.
1: So, you, so you're advising Planet Labs in addition to acronym?
2: Yeah. You- I have a badge, like I'm learning about satellites. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning as much from them and then I'm trying to help them build um, some software. Because this is like building software on top of all this really cool satellite imagery.
1: Have you considered starting your own company around climate change?
2: You know, I've thought about it, and I've I've started to look a little bit at what are some um, what are some of the gaps. I'm still so far. I'm still so young at this field that I don't have enough um, confidence in my own mental model of the world. Um, but it's been really fun starting to go see some of the technologists working on climate change. It's been very interesting. Um, you forward me an incredible article in the New Yorker called um, "Money is." the fuel that the fire of climate change burns on. Uh, It's specifically about the the financial industry and the insurance industry, because there's so much private money that goes into banks and insurance companies that then actually finances coal and oil and gas. And that's generally uh, opaque uh, to investors, um, to private wealth funds, to countries, a lot of whom give their money to banks. And on the one hand, the country's saying we're working on a 1.5 degree you know, plan for, for Japan. But on the other hand, a lot of their money is actually financing exactly the, the problem, um, which is the supply of money to go build new coal and, and oil and, and do fracking and all that other kind of stuff. Um,
1: what do you think uh, big tech's responsibility is when it comes to climate change?
2: Well, at the very least, um, I think there's gradations. <laughs> Um, I think at the very least, it's making a commitment to being carbon negative.
1: And that's in manufacturing processes, that's in shipping even. Yeah,
2: that's it's in- a lot easier for Facebook and Google than it is for Amazon right. and Apple, because we're not running giant supply chains and trucking stuff around the world and <laughs> packaging things. And so it's easy for Facebook to say, because it, it's basically data centers and buildings. Um, it's a lot easier to run, get a data center on renewable energy than it is to re-engineer your entire truck and supply chain system, which is what Amazon has to think about. With that said, admirably, they've made a commitment to get to to carbon neutral. I think it's by 2040. Um,
1: They've actually said they were going to do it 10 years earlier than everybody else. That's right, yeah. So let's see if they can meet that goal. You know,
2: putting the tactics aside, Mm -hmm. tech isn't actually creating that much carbon. I think Amazon's was 44 million... Uh, I, I did the math the other day. It's around like a percent uh, of the United States' is carbon offset. Okay. Which is pretty amazing considering what they do. One of the interesting metrics to look at is carbon intensity, which is per, per dollar of GDP, how much carbon is, what's the externality in terms of carbon? High carbon intensity is a gas company. Extremely low carbon intensity is most tech companies. Um, but I do think tech can lead. Um, we're an industry that in, in some ways is still looked to as a leader, in some ways is looked at with uh, a squint to see if we'll improve. I think that both of those are healthy. Um, but I think we can start to think about ways of more carefully dialing in our attention to to carbon impact. And I don't know exactly what that looks like for big tech, but I believe that um, sort of riling up employees more and, and, and getting more um, power into the hands of the um, of the officers who are responsible for this at the company is ultimately going to be a good thing.
1: Chris, I have to let you go. Uh, we're out of time, but thank you so much yeah, for joining my pleasure. me. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you everybody.
0: All right, that was Lauren's conversation with Chris Cox. Thank you for listening. If you want to give us feedback, leave a review of the show on the podcast app of your choice. Really, we love to hear your thoughts. You can also find us all on Twitter. Lauren is at Lauren Good. Arielle is at Part Esoteric. I am at Snack Fight. And you can bling the hotline by directing your tweets to at Gadget Lab. Again, we'll be off next week to stuff our faces with vegan treats on Thanksgiving Day. But you will hear from us again the first week of December. Until then.